This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Around the world at ISC. Rounding up the top stories. This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC, special ISC 22 edition with Intersect 360 Research and distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Oliver Peckham and Tiffany Trader. We've had a lot to talk about here at ISC. We already did one podcast focusing on Frontier and the official dawn of the Exascale era, the top 500 list. We didn't even get into everything that was there. There were a couple of other cool data points we forgot to mention in the first podcast. I like that uh, for the first time, the entry level to the top 500 didn't change. The the base uh, performance of the 500 system on the list was the same as we chewed up a lot of systems that were at the same level of performance. Also want to acknowledge that Fugaku, the previous reigning world number one in high performance Linpack is still number one in Graph 500 and HPCG, although that gets an asterisk because uh, Frontier has not run HPCG yet. They were getting in those benchmarks just before the show, but there's a lot to talk about beyond Exascale and Frontier and the top 500 list itself. Why don't we go around the horn you two and talk about, I think one of the great things about being at, at a conference in person at ISC is we pick up so many interesting stories. Uh, we can't cover the whole conference in one podcast, but how about if we each pick something that we think was was interesting from the show that uh, was fun to talk about? Oliver, do you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I was really excited to see uh, that happened today was the launch at ISC of the IASC, which is the new International Association of Supercomputing Centers, weirdly something that didn't exist before this. There are lots of local, regional, national, you know, continental associations of supercomputing centers, but this is the first uh, truly global international association of supercomputing centers. That's an initiative that's being led by representatives from uh, Lawrence Livermore National Lab, uh, LRZ here in Germany, uh, the NCSA and Hartree Center in the UK. And the four of them have been putting this together for, I think, around eight months now. And just today, they signed their MOU to officially launch the initiative. And at their panel, which was held yesterday, they had uh, representatives also sitting in from uh, DTU in Denmark and NCI in Australia. Yeah, a very cool story. And you're right. It's the sort of thing that I would have thought of, wait, didn't that already exist? But no, you're you're right. It didn't. Now, there's always been a sense of collaboration in the scientific community globally and between the different supercomputing centers. But I think this really under underscores how much there is for each of them to learn from each other. And I think it's particularly important in this era of supercomputing where we're really swung back towards specialization again. They've got different kinds of architectures, different kinds of applications or workloads they might specialize in. And to be able to learn from each other and get to where science builds on each other globally, the time is absolutely right for this uh, International Association of Supercomputing Centers. I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops. Yeah, and I think whereas a lot of these organizations of supercomputing centers or overarching initiatives are oriented around, you know, um, organizing research among centers, this is really an organization by centers for centers where they will be talking about the technical aspects of running a supercomputing center and helping each other 
avoid pitfalls and optimize their processes, their hiring. There is a lot of discussion about increasing uh, the diversity of the HPC workforce among those centers during their panel on Tuesday. I'm really excited to see what they do. Yeah, that's a topic that's been coming up for us a lot. Now, of course, uh, we, Dan Olds and I were going around the show in our yellow blazers with the student cluster competition. We did our own winter classic that was focused on increasing diversity in the supercomputing space. It's it's a topic that's really important to us, but we were getting a lot of uh, reinforcement of that from a lot of the conversations that we had about how do we build talent in general, part of which is how do we increase the diversity of the talent pool in HPC. And that's going to look different depending on what region you're talking about uh, in terms of racial diversity and, and how you bring that in. But, uh, but interesting to see that it's a, it is truly a global topic in terms of talent development. One aspect I'm in, interested in here, and I haven't had a chance to speak to them all myself about it, but you talked, Oliver, about it being a global community. Does that include at this point uh, some of the supercomputing cent- uh, centers in China or, uh, for example, Russia, uh, not to bring politics into a supercomputing discussion, but I think it's an interesting question. No, you're totally right. And that was one of the questions I asked them in HBC Wire's coverage of the IASC ahead of uh, ISC. And you know, the answer is that this is something that is still very much in the formative phases. It's something that's going to be community driven. And they acknowledge that there, you know, it is a geopolitically tense time and there are going to be questions about you know, membership and, the, and perhaps the limits of something like the IASC. But as of now, I'm not aware of any limitations like that. And they strongly stressed the potential of an organization like this to build common ground among supercomputing centers that might not otherwise find an opportunity to work together. Great pick of a topic, Oliver, and one that really we should be paying attention to. And it's kind of the sort of thing <laughs> ISC is all about. Tiffany? Yeah, yeah, I really like that topic too. The uh, International Association of Supercomputing Centers, that's one of those things that when you hear about it, you think, oh, why doesn't that exist? And that's exactly what you pointed out in, in your article. So it's it's nice to see. And ISC is the perfect launch pad for such uh, an effort. In, in fact, they even share uh, three of, of the, the letters in their in their acronym. So uh, that was a was a good fit and a good a good story. Um, something something else I thought was was one of the things I thought was pretty interesting here as a, a, a partnership. It hasn't um, really got that much attention yet. I'm actually going to be putting it out an article on this soon. It's a partnership between Intel and the Barcelona Supercomputing Center. So Intel is going to be investing 200 million euros uh, to start um, in a new microchip design center at, at Barcelona uh, over, the, over the course of 10 years. Um, BSC, of course, is home to the Mare Nostrum supercomputers in Barcelona, Spain, at that really cool data center that's inside a just deconsecrated church. Um, as part of this effort, um, Intel and, and BSC, the design center, they will be co-designing a RISC-V chip that will be made by Intel to be a competitive chip. This is the plan. And then be manufactured in European fabs and in, uh, in um, Magdeburg, Germany, and also in Ireland, where Intel is, is investing in, in setting up manufacturing hubs. So the way they look at this is that they have this, what they're, you know, they're in, in indigenous or sovereign supercomputing project, and they have um, you know, the, the system that they're looking at and the software and, and bringing more and more um, of the, the stack you know, into Europe. But they, 
the sort of the missing part of that is is the chip. So they they have they have the ARM in the the EPI project, but you know ARM is owned by Japan. They really want something that's more um, European owned and controlled, and and that's the idea behind this. So um, I just right, I just thought, wow, you know, Intel is is going to be making a a risk five chip. That's really that's really something that's really interesting. And they they even know the the target for the target for the chip. You know, we're at Barcelona. I told you they're the home of the of the Mayor Nostrum supercomputer. So currently they have the Mare Nostrum 4 and the next one would be Mare Nostrum 5. We'll get back to that in just a second. But after that was Mare Nostrum 6. That will be the target for this, uh, the, the RISC-V processor that they're going to be working on with Intel is will be Mare Nostrum 6. And that is in the 2027-2028 uh, timeline. But in the meantime, um, they still have not announced what the the design of of Marinostrum five will be, we're still awaiting that. So the 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 uh, the bid on that ended uh, a couple months ago. Um, they haven't said yet. Um, they were, if you remember, they were close to announcing an award about a year and a half ago, and then they decided to reevaluate the design aspects and they put it out for a bid late last year. Um, so now, and Oliver, I think you you've been talking to some of the European stakeholders about the this, and I believe they said they expect that they will be. Um, once again, they, they say they'll be looking to make an announcement soon on with that risk. risk um, excuse me. They look. They will be looking to make an announcement soon on what the Marinostrum Five design will be. Lots of lots of vague, excited hints uh, during presentations. Uh, I, I'm excited to see them finally announce that uh, final eighth system. While we're on the subject of Euro HPC, uh, they of course. Lumi was one of the big Euro HPC pre-exascale systems. So of the initial eight that they announced, three of those are pre-exascale. Uh, those are Leonardo, Lumi, and Marinostrum 5. And we're still waiting for Marinostrum 5, like I said. Um, so, uh, and also still, so what's the status of, of Leonardo, Oliver? I know you, you follow this very closely. Leonardo is on track, I think, for delivery um, later, later this year, early 2023, I think. Okay. And then there's also exascale systems that they've put out calls for, um, for the, for the sites, uh, as part of the Euro HPC, they said like one or possibly two systems. And I think you have some details on that too, Oliver. Yes. What I, what I was told is that, you know, the, that procurement for at least the first system has, uh, closed as, uh, as of earlier this year, and the governing board of EuroHPC will be meeting in Kajani, Finland, during the inauguration ribbon cutting for Lumi uh, in just a week or two. Uh, there, the governing board will make the decision, uh, the final vote on where to host that first exascale system. And I was told that we should hear news about that shortly afterward. Mm hmm. Yeah, and then going going back to the risk five, you know, that's that's one of their swim lanes, and then another swim lane is is Cyprol. And uh, Addison, we were talking about that a little bit, and I, I know that you you picked up on that Cyprol news this week. Yeah, there's been a lot of news to unpack in in what you're just going through, and obviously sovereignty is a is a big thing that really goes back to the Euro HPC forum that we were reporting on a couple of months ago, which was a great update on 
all of these strategies and looking for technologies that are designed and manufactured in Europe for Europe. You're right, Tiffany, that Intel's IDM 2.0 strategy and, uh, and the construction of the fabs in Europe opens the doors for Intel to take a strong role in that. And uh, we noted after Supercomputing 21 in November that Intel had a partnership around Ponte Vecchio with the Cyperl Rea CPU that was really um, on track to be considered as part of uh, EuroHPC. Now at ISC, Cyprol has a, another partnership with uh, NVIDIA. So uh, Cyprol with the Rea CPU, I think, is in, uh, is in a very interesting position with regard to uh, potential uh, European installations. Mm. Yeah, and just a little footnote, since you mentioned Ponte Vecchio, Intel was here at ISC. And Jeff McVeigh had a keynote here. They 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 discussed some additional details of their merged CPU GPU roadmap with Falcon Shores. You can read more about that uh, on HPC Wire in an article by Agam Shah. Um, and then they also announced the the, the, the successor uh, to Ponte Vecchio. They announced it will be named a Rialto Bridge, and it will. They didn't say too much more than that, but they said it will be slot upgradable. It will uh, be an incremental architectural upgrade, and it will have uh, more XE graphics goodness. Um, and that they're targeting a 30% performance upgrade uh, with, with certain workloads. So that's what we know so far about that. Well, and that little bit is already interesting to see to what extent they're talking about graphics capabilities in these GPUs, where the G is supposed to stand for graphics. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, Intel uh, has been focusing on the computational aspects of these accelerators, but if it moves Intel into the graphics business as well, then they're competing with NVIDIA on multiple fronts. So uh, it's going to be interesting to monitor uh, the evolution of of Rialto Bridge and beyond in, in that Intel GPU line. There's there's so much interesting stuff going on right now. Just so much so much so much of this processor diversity, which you've been banging the drum on for for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, and if I'm going to pick a story, um, you know, I'll I'll go around and say you know an area we haven't really talked about yet much amidst all the other uh, news has been cloud. Now another one I like to often pick up on is uh, storage and data management. I would say it's been a sleepier show on that side. So I'll leave that alone for right now. Not that there was no news, but what's going on in cloud right now? Obviously, we had huge, what, what I would look at as super maximum growth curve for cloud through the pandemic. And we reported that in our webinar prior to ISC, that we had the sec, a back-to-back -back year of over 75% growth year on year for HPC in the cloud. And, and the big uh, cloud vendors have had announcements of their own. But what I'm really interested in is looking at the surrounding space of that, where I'm hearing a lot of increase in as a service types of offerings. Um, I think HPE GreenLake has been the one that's gotten the most uh, attention so far, but Dell with Apex, Lenovo TrueScale, Atos has announced, Nimbix um, uh, Supercomputing Services, Fujitsu is aligned around computing as a service, So and Penguin has still got on-demand offerings. There's a lot moving there from the vendors, and I'm also interested in the service provider space beyond the main vendors, which, you know, it had cycle computing and it got acquired by Azure. It had Nimbix in it, got acquired by Atos. 
really leaves Rescale as the dominant vendor there. And they've been trending toward the higher end of it with uh, HPC as a service kinds of offerings where they can be very consultative with the end users. Um, interesting new vendor in this space to me is Yellow Dog, which is just picking up scheduling of multi-cloud uh, being a sort of uh, uh, bright computing or you know, slurm integration of how do I schedule all of my bright computing being another company that got acquired and is now part of NVIDIA. But but looking at, at a, a slurm integration of how do I schedule my job across clouds, I'm going to be interested in following them and seeing how that evolves. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've talked and talked to a lot of the same people that you mentioned here, you know, especially uh, we're in Europe, it's At- Atos about the, the the Nimbix integration that they brought in and the, the new things that they have coming out and, and Fujitsu with their compute as a service. And I know you're, you're tracking this in your market update that you gave recently. And um, that's, a, I believe that's a, available online. And Oliver, you, you wrote, you wrote up a story about, about that as well. So people can read more about that on HPC wire, or I think you have it available on your, your site, um, intersect360research.com, Madison. We've, and you've had a lot of coverage of ISC 22 on HPC wire. There's a whole section. <laughs> Thank you. There's a big roundup of, of what's going on at the show there. Uh, and, you know, we're probably going to find more to talk about still. We're heading into the closing keynote. We haven't really talked about the keynotes too much yet. There's always going to be more to talk about. But I have to go out and still have more meetings with uh, more people while I'm here in Hamburg. Take advantage of the fact that we're back in person. We still we still got a lot more content for the next one with, with, with uh, the keynotes and the other things we, we still to cover. So look forward to the next one and talking to you again. Well, We'll be back with more podcasts, but I appreciate uh, uh, Oliver and Tiffany, the ongoing coverage. And to you for listening, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.